we'll get we'll get going here. I want to welcome you again. If you're new with us, I just want to welcome you this morning. Welcome to the Firehouse. We're starting a, a series this month, a four-part series. So I'd just like to introduce the series and then introduce our speaker here for this morning. So um, the series, we're going to take the four four Sundays here in September to speak on the topic of finances. Um, and so we're, we're calling it uh, Taming the Money Monster. So uh, we're going to try to have fun with that. And, you know, each one of us as we teach, we may or may not relate to that theme or, or, or not. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But uh, we, uh, it's going to be a great series. You know, some of you might know if you've been coming to the church for a while, we don't generally tend to talk about finances too much. And it's probably true that if anything, we, we err in, in not talking on the subject as much as we should. And so as we've been just thinking through where we should go, um, we, we felt like it would be fitting just to talk through some of the uh, this the subject a little more thoroughly than we have in the past. Occasionally, we'll speak to it as we're reading through the scriptures and there's something on finances we come across, or we've done a, a building campaign in the past, and so this uh, this series we're going to do hopefully will be an encouragement to you, maybe uh, refresh your convictions, or maybe it'll give you some new thoughts um, related to to the you know how to. Um, how to relate to God and how to relate to money and things like that. So we're, we're excited about the series here. John's going to kick it off this morning. Next week, Jeff uh, Weeman will share on part two. And then uh, Greg Miller will, will do week number three. And then I'll wrap things up week number four here. So we're looking forward to a good time. Um, now, as far as uh, introducing John here, um, some of you might know John Meyer. I thought um, I, I would share with you a little about uh, maybe some, some well, less well-known facts about John, or at least one one less well-known fact about John, but John is probably one of the few pastors in in our region for sure, and maybe even in our nation that rides around on a motorcycle to get places. John, uh, he was on his wild hog here this morning to get down here, and uh, he, he's one of the few ones, that, and there may be other pastors that ride motorcycles, but John is definitely the only one that can ride a wheelie down I-25, you know, it's a, it's a sight to see, so, uh, but no, I don't know if he does that or not, but... Um, but you know, uh, some of you might know John uh, is a pastor up in Summit View um, Church in Fort Collins, and a number of us, uh, John was our pastor up there before we sent a team to start a church down here. John has also had an increasing uh, role in kind of helping out regionally, helping uh, oversee and encourage and coach churches regionally, so it's been a blessing to get to interact with John more here recently myself. Um, and even on this topic of, of money and faith and God and things like like that. John is one that uh, back when I was uh, just getting going to church and stuff, some of the convictions that I have and the understanding I have on God's thoughts and God's word on this subject came from um, John teaching that. And, and some of those convictions have been impressed upon my heart ever since that time, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago now. So um, I'm, I'm glad to introduce him. Won't you give a warm welcome to John Meyer here? So uh, it is fun to get to come down here and speak with you on, on this subject. Rich is right. We, uh, we are often really hesitant in a church environment to talk about money. Uh, it could be a sensitive subject for a number of reasons. And so, in one sense, I could say it would be really good for you to trust God that He's going to speak to you this morning. Because Jesus spent lots and lots of time talking about money, recognizing that it's something that really relates to a lot of our lives, but in church we don't. 
And you probably will not hear a message related to money or finances around here again for a long time. I don't know if you've ever done one here before. So I just want to ask you guys to set your minds and believe that over the next four years, the next four weeks, <laughs> it's going to be a long series. Over the next four weeks, God can give you things that you are going to need. Like Rich talked about how he got convictions long ago that are still with him today. That's true for me too. There are key points in my life where I made decisions related to money and they have shaped my life to this day. I heard a message. I had a point of decision. And, and God can walk you into that place that sets certain things in your mind and in your heart where, where you go, okay, I got that. And, and you are ready to walk with that the rest of your life. And I'd like to believe that for many of you, that could actually happen in this series. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a chance to walk into a decision today. And I, I hope that that can be something that blesses you as it blessed me. Um, and... Uh, it is hard for us to really naturally understand God's perspective on finances. I thought I'd, I'd share with you a, an old joke. If you haven't heard it, you might enjoy it. I've, I've, I liked it and probably heard it from a bunch of you guys. But uh, it's about a guy who, who wants more money and he has, he has a belief and a faith in God. He has, doesn't have it all figured out, just like most of us. But he knows that God can do anything and he starts thinking about how God could give him a bunch of money. And... And um, he feels a little sheepish about asking, so he thinks about it, and he finally comes up with his, his, his approach, and he prays to God, and he starts out by saying, God, um, you're so big, and you're so great. I was just wondering, you know, to you, what is one of our seconds in time like to you? And to his surprise, he hears a voice, and God speaks to him. And he hears this voice saying, well, son, to me, one of your, to, to me, a second in my time, a second in my time is like millions of years in your time. And, and the man said, wow, God, you're amazing. You are so big. I, I just have one more question. God, what's one of your pennies like? <laughs> and he hears a voice again. Oh, son, one of my pennies to you, it's like millions of dollars. And then, God, you are so big. You're so awesome. I was just wondering, could I have one of your pennies? And, and the voice said, sure, son. Just a second. Well, we often have an approach to God related to money that is just a little different than His. And sometimes He doesn't respond the way we, we naturally hope He will. But God does have a place where He wants to meet us on this subject. And again, I really believe there is a dimension of the Christian life that you do not know until you come to that perspective. It changes so many things. And so we're going to lay a foundation this morning. And we're going to start where Jesus started. We're going to start with the heart. And in this series, there's going to be really practical stuff. 
uh, things that are very, very useful in day-to-day -day life because that's anything that has a comprehensive look at money has got to come to that level. But Jesus always starts with our heart, and so this morning, that's my job, is to just help us see money and our heart in God in their proper place. It should be called putting money in its place. Uh, but I entitled this, Choosing Jehovah Jireh. I've taught things like this in the past, and I call it choosing a primary care provider. But what does Jehovah Jireh mean? God provides. Choosing the provider God. And so let's just pray. And I'm going to pray, and then I'd like to ask you to pray. Because it says, faith comes by hearing. Faith does not come because I speak. Although I have to speak things that are true from God. But there's way more spiritual power in what you hear than what I say. That's the battle. We're surrounded by good information. The battle is, what do I hear? What do you hear? And can you pray that God would give you ears to hear on a subject you probably are not going to hear about again for a while? This is God's chance to speak to your heart. Well, Lord Jesus, I, I ask you, God, that you would draw us close to you. I pray, God, that you would graciously reveal to us the truths of our own hearts, the reality of our world, and who you are. Lord, I pray that in this room there would be people that would, would give their trust and their faith and their heart to you in a, in a life commitment way that have never crossed that line before. I ask you, Lord Jesus, that, that, that all of us in this room would hear your call, that all of us who have walked that way would be renewed in that, reset in that, but Lord, that all of us would give you your proper place. And I pray that now you grant these, in this room, grace to just ask you to speak into their soul. And Lord, thank you that you are our discipler. You, you have a whole journey you're walking us on in life through many, many different things. And yet this is certainly one of them. And I just pray that, that you'd be discipling us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so you guys have a handout. And just our first point is that money dramatically affects nearly every dimension of our lives. And what we have to be really careful about here... Ooh, thank you, you're helping me. Um, uh, is that, especially in a church setting, especially if you've been around here for a while... It's easy to sort of have a spiritual air that money is not important. Or, you know, sometimes if you're really young, 
uh, you can, and you haven't gotten surrounded by responsibilities like you will as you get older, you can almost have a condescending perspective like, oh, money's not important, except for the skateboard I want. Other than that, I'm good. Um, but if we're honest, and we're not over-spiritualizing things, and we're looking at where life is at, money is like the oil that makes life work. So many areas of our life are impacted by that. And a really um, famous man, oops, I'm going the wrong way here, said this in Ecclesiastes, he said, A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. That's in the Bible. And you know what? He had an awful lot of money, and he generally understood that. There is almost nothing that you want, there is almost no problem that you have, that money isn't the best way to move that direction. And when we look at just general areas of our lives, the very quality of life that we live, where do you live right now? What are you driving? How did you get here? What are you going to do on vacation? All of that is affected primarily by one thing. Money. I just helped my son buy a car uh, two days ago. Uh, he bought an old beater pickup. Everyone around him was really thankful because he's been borrowing their cars for a long time. <laughs> he would have loved to buy a Dodge Cummins diesel. He's got an old Mazda, little tiny old truck. For one reason, money. It is shaping the quality of his life. Our time, you know, 80% of our time goes into either making, managing, or spending our money. Almost all of your time is wrapped up messing with money. Doing something with it, and somehow, in some form. Our friendships, though we might not like to actually vocalize that, the reality is almost all of us socialize, relate to, build friends with people in our basic economic bracket. Not too many people in here are good friends with multimillionaires, and not too many people here are probably friendships have friendships with people who have way less than they do. Money determines our social world. It determines my status. There are certain environments I'm in uh, where I'm around really, really affluent people. And I will be honest with you, I can feel very self-conscious. It is not a world I know how to move in. And what's the difference between them and me? It's money. And how that changes things. Our hopes and dreams, that's why they call it a dream house. There was a survey uh, done that, that uh, asked people how many people believed money would make them happier. 96% of Americans believe that money can make them happier. How much money would it take? About $100,000 how much money it take to make you happier, according to the survey. We think there's something out there we can get. We, we attach our dream suit right in this room right now. Maybe you're all going to go home after this service and you'll sit down on your couch and you'll, you'll, uh, you'll maybe open up the internet or you'll thumb through the paper or you'll look at all the stuff that you can get. My dream car, my dream gadget, all I want is another gadget. What's the thing there? It's money. And then there's peace of mind. And you know what? These things are real. They are real life. They're not things we should look down on. They're not things that, that um, we somehow are supposed to totally disconnect from. I was listening to a, a wife the other day. Husband just started a business. They've got a number of children sold all their mutual funds 
to start his business and the wife was talking about how hard that was for her. How insecure that made her feel. All of their financial security for the future is gone. That's a real thing. Money determines what kind of health care you're going to have. I'm getting older. What's going to happen to me? The thing that's going to shape my old age is money. We cannot ignore, downplay, deny the place of money in our lives. If we do, we're either not honest or we're not realistic. As a matter of fact, money is such an important and pervasive part of our lives, Jesus said money would be our greatest temptation to idolatry. That's really interesting. He said, no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Meaning that you're going to serve one or the other. It's so, so fascinating of all the sins we think about, of all the sins we talk about. Jesus picked out one thing and he says, this is my competition. This is my competition for worship. Money. This is the other guy. Or the other woman. It's money. You will serve God or money. Wow, why does he say that? I think what's really interesting here for us to recognize is who he said this to. In Luke 16, he said this to the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were the most religious people that have ever lived. And we, we give them sort of a bad name because there's a lot of things they were wrong about, but outwardly they were wonderful. They did everything right. They, they honored God in every form and fashion. They honored God with all their money. Even when they got spices, they would take a tenth of their spices and they tied them to God. They did everything exactly right. But if we went down just a couple verses here and we said, why was Jesus saying this to these guys? It then says... But the Pharisees sneered at him because they loved money. Here's what should catch us here. If we asked those Pharisees, do you love money? You know what they would have said? Absolutely not. And if we said, do you love money more than God? They would have ripped their robes and they would have said, never! They were deceived. And they did. Jesus talked about money all the time. Because you and I are constantly in a place tested with its value in our life. In Colossians, there's a list of different sins. And then the last one it lists is greed. And it says, put to death therefore this and this and this. And then it says, and greed, which is idolatry. He doesn't say anything else is idolatry. He doesn't say sexual immorality is idolatry and all the other things listed there. And he gets to greed and he says, do you understand? There is something about how you're made. Money and its connection to your life will pull your heart to worship it. And I think we don't get that. You know, it's interesting as Christians, we, um, we uh, in our very doctrine, we acknowledge we're sinners. 
You can't become a Christian without acknowledging you're a sinner. The whole point of Christianity is that we're hopelessly lost, we're disconnected from God, we're lost in ourselves and in the brokenness of our world, and we will never get out apart, of the, apart from the help of God. And we're created to be something we will never be. We are, we are locked into lostness and sin. And in that we come to a Savior, and Jesus saves us out of that state. And so part of Christianity is acknowledging our need and being honest and open about our sins. And so we can look at churches or, or, or Christian resources, Christian bookstores all over the world and we find all kinds of ways to help believers trying to help themselves with sin. There's issues for addiction. There's things to help you with your marriage. There's things to help you with your family. There's things to help you in all these different arenas. But you know what's really interesting? Even though Jesus talked more about money than anything else, and even though greed is the only sin that's called idolatry, there's never been a group in any church I've ever been part of that has ever gotten together where everybody confessed how greedy they were. I just really struggle with spending my money wrong. I just really struggle with, with wanting other things and lusting after other things. No, I got guys getting together to talk about all kinds of moral issues and pornography issues and addiction issues. I got guys coming together to talk about all kinds of stuff and women also. The Christian bookstore filled with books. I don't think there's a book in the Christian bookstore. Now, there's a lot of books in the Christian bookstore telling you how to get more money, how God's principles will make you financially prosperous. I don't think there's a single book that I know of ever been written on greed and how you and I are subject to that. Isn't that just a little odd? Doesn't that strike you like, uh oh, maybe we're missing something here? There's another really interesting thing about the sin of greed and loving money and loving what it can get me. If you sin in a bunch of areas, if you were married and you were to fall into adultery or you fall into immorality or you, you, um, you grow in a rage and you start hitting people on the, on the uh, you know, in Walmart. <laughs> I will really have a deep compassion for you. I will really have a deep compassion for what you lost, for, for, for where you're caught, for the things that I know you're struggling to get out of. But you know what? If you stumble in the area of greed and you spend your money buying lots of nice cars and lots of nice things, I won't grieve for you. I'll judge you. And I'll be envious of you. Why is it that the one sin we judge one another for is when someone is greedily using the money God's given them? Oh, there's no way they should be driving that kind of car if they're a Christian. Living in that house. The way they spend their money. Oh, is that hard for you? My, my, my. Why is that? May we not be deceived. Jesus was no fool when he said, You cannot serve God and money. He knew my heart. And he knows yours. And if we don't see it, we need to go, God, help me understand where the things money can give me are in my heart.
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Famous phrase. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And here's, here's I think, a warning for us again. There are, um, there are a lot of sins that I could fall into that, that when people looked at me, they might go, I'm not sure how he got here, but he's not wandering now. The guy's just been unfaithful to his wife. Uh, he's, uh, he's done whatever. He's, he's clearly, clearly outside the will of God. He's clearly wrong. But in the area of money, somehow, you and I, we can, we can, just, we can just start just wandering off in, in the wrong direction. We can look like we're living a responsible life. I'm just taking care of what I'm supposed to take care of. I'm just, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. And yet, because of what's tracking it, because it's our heart, what's going to happen is we're going to wander farther and farther from the faith. That love for God, that love for Jesus that was caught up in these songs that we sang, that you really want. That you really want to, want to know that and experience that in your life. You're going to get farther and farther and farther away from it. You're wandering from the faith. And the reality of God in your life is becoming dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And in the end, you're going to pierce yourself with many griefs. And you could still be sitting here and people looking at you and going, You're a respectable, wonderful, loving Christian. And you've wandered from the faith. And you've disconnected. And you're miles from God. And nobody, including you, even knows it. All you know is you just don't experience the joy of God in a real way like you used to. God wants us to recognize there is a place that we can be deceived in that money can have in our life. There's a verse, you only have part of it on your sheet, but um, this is Jesus' whole passage here out of Mark. And we're familiar with it. It's a parable of the sower and the seed, and this is where he explains it. And he says, uh, The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path. Where the word is sown, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And he walks through these four kinds of seed, and we assume they're progressive in the challenges that's faced and in the results that come out of it. And so the, 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 the place where loss occurred the easiest was right in the beginning. This guy didn't even understand it. Uh, it tells us that in... in um, uh, I think it's in Matthew or Luke, one of the other accountings of this. This guy doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. And so because he doesn't understand it, Satan comes and he takes it away. Boom, it's gone. He never, he never understood it. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. They get it. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So here are people that encounter persecution. Now what's astonishing here is the next one is going to be about, about affluence and wealth. And if we receive this as a divine order from God, what he is communicating here is that the challenges of persecution are far less challenging than the challenges of living in an affluent culture. 
One Romanian pastor was, was quoted as saying that he knew of 95% of the 95% of the Christians he knew survived the test of persecution. 95% of the Christians he knew did not survive the test of affluence. And yet what do we fear? Oh, I hope we don't experience persecution. You know, if this is true, then you and I are living in a culture that is the most challenging culture that has ever been on earth. No culture has ever provided people with as much access to the resources of affluence as the world that you and I live in. You are living in the most challenging culture maybe that has ever, ever, ever been on planet earth to give your heart to Jesus Christ. So in verse 18, he says, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, they hear it, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. And so if we look at the difference between number three and number four, we would tend to think, okay, number four accepts the word, so number three must reject the word. But no, that's not true at all. Number three accepts the word too. They have it. It's, it's in there. But it's being choked. And there's so many other things filling their lives and they've got all this stuff to worry about and they're deceived by the deceitfulness of wealth. And they have this desire for other things. And when I think about the church in the world, and this is what we really need to... You guys are thinking about starting a Saturday night service here. Your church has incredible potential. You could, see an, you could be in the middle of this astonishing, amazing work of God. You guys could be. You could have the time of your lives here. But I'm going to warn you. You have an obstacle. When I look at the church in the world, and I've been a bunch of places, I've been to a number of churches in India, I've been to Nepal, I've, I've, um, I've been in more remote parts of China. And, and when, when I look at the church out there and in, the, in the third world, uh, I see a couple things. Incredible hardship, incredible poverty, sometimes persecution. And I also see this. Incredible fruitfulness. They are really fruitful. When I look at the church in the West, I see resources and knowledge and, and uh, incredible access to, to, uh, to, to money to do things. And I also see one other thing that really characterizes the church in the West. It is has very, very little fruit. Very little fruit. How do we know if we're number three or number four? The convicting answer is, is your life bearing fruit? If your life is not bearing fruit, you're not number two, this is America. You're number three. And this is the question we need to ask ourselves. Sometimes, it just about drives me crazy. 
Sometimes I'm around, especially I think with younger people, there can be a desire to, to focus on freedom in Christ. Well, hey, I've got freedom to go to movies. I've got freedom to play video games. I've got freedom to buy all this stuff. Oh, there's freedom in Christ. Yes! But the desires for other things, how many movies do you want to go to? Your head only has so much space. How many hours are you going to play video games? How many catalogs are you going to look at? The desires for other things will choke it. You can't stuff all that stuff in your head and have room for a deep love for God. You have got to focus. The desires. We have so many other things to desire. If you're living in India in a village, I'm telling you what, you better not have very many desires because you're not going to get hardly any of them. They don't have hardly any desires because there is nothing to have other than rice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's life. And you wash your clothes on the rock out back. You would hate it. But when they come to Christ, they have one hope and one clear heart. And it's to live for a Savior that's taking them to heaven. How clear are you? How hot and undivided is your heart for God? You live in the most entangling culture that has ever been on earth. I mean, a hundred years ago when they were really rich, it still took you a little while to go and access all your stuff. Now it's right here. We have it instantly. I'm instantly diverted. I'm instantly distracted. I'm instantly absorbed. And Jesus says, I need your focus. You must be consumed with me. Not diverted a thousand different directions. A few years ago when I did this, this uh, message like this, uh, a statistic that was, seemed really intriguing to me at the time related to advertising. Uh, I think it was 2006, giving to churches in the United States was $84 billion given to churches that year by churchgoers. And, uh, and the number of ad the amount of money spent in the United States on advertising that year, $264 billion. So 84, 264. And the number of people who on a survey would say that they were Christians was 74%. 74% of the people in America said they were Christians. So they were the ones that went to the churches and they gave the 84, or maybe $85 billion uh, to those churches. But this is what I thought was really interesting. $264 billion for advertising. 74% of the people in America are going to church or giving that money. That means, since all that advertising money really came from the people who live in the United States, because they go buy the gadgets or buy the cars or buy the whatever, and the, the uh, makers of those things and spend some money on advertising, so all the money for advertising comes from the consumer. It all comes from him. So of the $264 billion spent on advertising, 74% of it came from the 74% that were Christians, or calling themselves that. That means $195 billion dollars was given by people calling themselves Christians to be spent on advertising 
the purpose of which for that advertising was to grab their hearts and pull them away from the message of God. So they were giving over twice as much for professional people to influence them and pull them away from the message of God as they were giving to their church to pull them toward the message of God. And not only that, they gave those people who had twice as much money access to them almost 24-7 and they only went to church once or twice a week. How is that going to affect our hearts and our mind? That's not to make any of us feel bad. That's to make us go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have got to get my head in this game. I was riding down here. I was stuck. There was an accident on the interstate. All three lanes of traffic were stopped for about 25 minutes. When I got up there, there was no cars except a bunch of police cars and a bunch of policemen standing all over the road and some skid marks. And yet they'd had all this traffic stopped for a long time. So I know somebody died there this morning. There's no reason a totally empty, totally clear road with skid marks on it is all blocked up by policemen except they're trying to figure out what happened because this guy died. No one on earth that day was expecting that person or those people to die. God knew they would. God knew this was your day. But we live as if we're going to be around forever. And a song I was listening to as I was sitting there on the interstate, it's a little a bit older now, but it's um, Josh Gerrell's, uh, and some of you might listen to it, but there's a line in a song that says, How do good men become part of the machine? Do you guys know the next line? They don't believe, they don't believe in resistance. Do you understand there is a force in our world that you must stand in resistance against? If you do not stand in resistance, you will become part of the machine. It is all around you. It is all around you. And your heart is made in such a way that money can slide right in there. How do good men become part of the machine? They don't believe in resistance. Are you guys here going to be a community of resistance? Are you guys here going to be people that say, we are not getting sucked into this, not on our watch, not in this place, not this church? We want to be a community that loves Jesus more and more and more as we're drawn out of this sewage that we live in. Not ones that fall farther and farther into it as we get older and older and older. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Where's your heart at? What are you thinking right now? Who are you? Who are you going to be? And lots of people have set their heart saying, I will not be caught by this world. I watched many of those people when I was a young, young believer. And I see their lives still today walking that out. And I made that choice because of their example. And though I've wrestled and fought and struggled, probably their example has kept me where that is a desire of my heart. 
30 some years ago I accepted Christ I wrestled a long time before that and I wrestled a long time after that but I made a decision and that day September 11, 1977 when I made a decision to accept Christ it changed everything April 13th, 1985 I made a decision to get married and I wrestled with what to do before that and I've struggled in my marriage after that but that day changed everything and my whole view of everything is different because I made a commitment and that's what each of us need to make in our hearts who is going to be your provider? Who is going to take care of you? Is it going to be money or is it going to be God? And it will determine what soil type you become. We need something bigger than money in our lives and there's really only one option left. Jesus said we'll trust either God or money for the things we need most in life. We have to. I, you know, I am going to get old. How am I going to take care of my old age years? My car is going to wear out. For you, you know, you've got my kids need braces. I've got debtors calling me. I'm, I'm just going crazy because of all these phone calls. They want me to pay my bills. I need money. And when you have those moments... You will make a choice to put something first. And whatever you put first, that's what you're going to trust in. Oops, how did I do that? And so Jesus said this, No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. And what God says is, if I'm not your God, you won't like me. If you're not serving me, you won't like me. Trouble will come into your life, and you know what you'll do? This is what you'll do. Oh my goodness, I've got all this financial debt. I've got all these money problems. I need money. Oh. And now i got to go to church and they're going to want me to give money and i got to take care of God. I have got too many problems for any of that. And God becomes someone you despise because you've got problems and you have got no bandwidth to take care of Him too. And you disconnect and you run off and you take care of your problems. Or your other option is, God, I am really in need. You promised you would take care of me. God, I entrust myself to you. I make myself vulnerable to you. You are my God. I believe in you. If this ship goes down, Lord, it's going down on your watch. Because I am trusting you. And I draw near to you. I draw near to you. I draw near to you. You are my provider. You are my Jehovah Jireh. You are my God. And God, you know it. I have need. You will be one of those two. One you'll despise and one you'll love. So said Jesus. And so... We have to make a choice, and that's what this is about. I want to give us just a few questions we ask ourselves. And the first one is, what about the things I need? My kids need braces. I need to go to the dentist. I need to go see a doctor. I need to get a car to go to work. There's things I really honestly need. But here's how we have to view this. God is my protection. Money is His provision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. God said that to a man named Abram when he was just beginning a relationship with him. Just starting. And 
But he was asking Abram to leave everything he had and to leave everything that he knew and go to this place he knew nothing about. And he's asking him to do that. And this is the promise he gives him. He says, Abram, I'm your shield. I am your God. And I am your great reward. Will you believe that I will care for you all the way through life? That was his call and his promise to Abram. What will you say in your heart? Will you say, God, you are my shield and you are my great reward. I will walk with you. That is your call. And he called Abram into financial insecurity when he did that. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you Never will I forsake you. Hey, it's true. It's really true. I have never known in 30-some years anybody that's experienced uh, um, financial hardship that really hurt them if their lives were entrusted in faith to God. I have never known that. I've known a lot of people that experienced incredible financial hardship, but I have never known anybody that was entrusted to God, said, God, you're my God, and honoring God, and their lives came to financial ruin. And for you, you probably know some cool stories. There's always amazing stories. We were just in a pastor's meeting a couple weeks ago, talking about there's some people in our church that didn't believe God did anything outside the Bible. If it wasn't in the Bible, God didn't do it. And we're just talking about things God had done in our life. And Travis Swan shared this story about when he was uh, um, just first married. He and Sarah got married just just a number of months ago. And they were broke and they were paying rent on two places because Sarah couldn't get out of her lease. So they're they're paying rent on, on two apartments. And Travis doesn't really have any income. He's trying to raise support. So they're just absolutely, totally dead broke. Raising support to work in the church. And there's so many things they're having to do without, and there's so many struggles with it. And, and one of the hard things is they don't even have a computer at home, so Sarah can't even do email. And there's this situation that comes up where they can buy a computer for $200 where she could do her email. And so they sit down, they, and Travis just says, Sarah, let's just ask God for $200. So they sit down, they pray. The next day, first thing, this friend of theirs knocks on the door. Now, nobody else knows anything about this. He didn't tell anybody. Knocks on the door, and you know what happened. They opened the door. He said, you know what? I was just driving down the road. God told me to stop and give you $200. And handed him $200. Knew nothing about it. Now, that's a true story. It's a true story. You tell me. Is that coincidence? How many people have enough faith to believe that's coincidence? No one has ever stopped in Travis's life again, knocked on the door and handed him $200. It has never happened before and it has never happened again. It happened that day after they prayed. Do you really believe that's coincidence? I don't have that much faith. Another story I like is Perry Paulding. He's a pastor up in Greeley. and A number of years ago, finances were pretty tight in their church. I think they just a few weeks earlier they got down to $10 in their church checking account. And of course, you know, the church checking account is the pastor's salary. That's how that works. Um, up to a salary level, whatever that is. And so, you know, life's challenging. And so, Perry, he just, just one Sunday morning, he just gets up in the morning, he said, I don't know why I did it. 
I just, I just, in desperation, I just, just cried out to God, God, this morning, give us $10,000 in our offering, which was impossible. And so he goes to church, and he said, I don't even know why I prayed it. I almost prayed it, and I didn't hardly believe it, but that's what I prayed. So he goes to church. After church, the counters of the money ask him to come help count the money. That never happens. Pastors never help count the money. It had never happened before in Perry's life, and I just know it has never happened again. It has never happened in my life. Why in the world did they just think they needed help that morning? And Perry, when they asked him, he said he just froze. It's like, what is going on here? They went back and they counted the offering that morning, and honest to God, 10000 and one dollar. His co-pastor was so angry at him, he said, why didn't you pray for a hundred thousand? <laughs> How many of you have enough faith to believe that's coincidence? I don't have that much faith. There is a real God who knows your need. I could just give you story after story. Another woman, their family was in incredible financial hardship. One of the most challenging situations, maybe the most challenging situation I've ever known. And their finances finally brought them to the point where they're going to have to move. Very hard situation. So many hard parts to it. And she was gathering up her kids' clothes and all her kids' socks had holes in it. She just broke down weeping. She said, God, can't my kids even have socks? And a little while later, there was a ring on the door and somebody showed up with a whole box of kids' clothes and it was filled with kids' socks. And she said, she just cried. God sees. Does that mean he'll never allow you to be in hardship? No. Travis says, hey, we're still, you know, almost day to day on our finances. But now I know God sees and he watches. There is a God, a Father, who loves you. And He doesn't have to provide a head. He's got no problem with supply. He has no, no supply issues. All He needs to give you today is your daily bread. All He needs to give you today is your daily bread. And if you don't have a whole bunch of money in the bank, you know, there's a chance that God knows whether you need it or not. We all need to be responsible, and that's part of what the rest of the series will be about. God's your protection. Money is His provision. Do you believe that? Another place Jesus talked about this from another angle. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Here's a guy that made it. He got it all. He had everything. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. You know, I don't know what you, who you admire in life in terms of money, wealth, or prosperity, or, or stuff. But I'll tell you this. Bill Gates is one day older today than he was yesterday. Every single day, he is one day closer to an eternal destiny. I don't care how much stuff you've got. You're one day older. You're one day closer. Nothing, no amount of money can stop that. You are headed for eternity. God knows that journey. And He's our protection, but money's His provision. 
what about others? What others think of me? God determines who I am. Money determines how I can express it. All of us have identity issues. I'm amazed at all the identity issues I still have. We get programmed by life and apart from Christ, that's who we are. And I worry about this and I worry about that and I try to impress this person and I'm trying to be this and I'm... We're all so caught up in that. And you know what? Advertisers understand that and they grab that and they go, I can sell you an image. I don't care if you're a skateboarder or an old geezer in Florida. I can sell you an image. I can give you an identity. And there's times I can seek security in having being dressed right or having the right stuff. But God says this, listen John, how great is the love of the Father that He's lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know Him. You have a Father. You have a Father who runs the universe. We sang about how He dances over us. Do you really get that? Do you really believe that? You have a Father that dances over you. He really loves you. That is who you are. And one day it will be crystal clear that that's your identity. And God says every day you need to root down into that because when you don't root down into that, you take another identity. Sometimes you buy it with money and you get weird. And you don't love people right. And you don't act right. Because you are trying to find an identity different than who you really are. You're a child of God, made by Him, loved by Him, gifted by Him to bring certain things into this world and you are fully able to completely accomplish everything He wants from you. And all your weirdness and all your warts and all the things you don't like about yourself. God said, I need someone exactly like you to play this role. You're perfect. You're perfect. You're perfect. To walk the life I've designed for you. Are you content with yourself? Are you content with how high you are? Or you know, how many freckles you've got? Or, or whatever it is about you? Or your background? Or your parents? Are you content saying, Okay, whoa, this is, the, this is the place Jesus needed somebody right here. I'm the person. And he says, You're perfect. Oh, okay. I don't have to be dressed just right. I don't have to look hip. I don't need to be able to wear skinny jeans. I don't need to... I haven't had that struggle with desire, but... Um, <laughs> you are perfect. Your Father made you just right. Gave you just the right background. God determines who I am. Money only determines how I can express it. I love this verse. A brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who's rich should take pride in his low position because he's going to pass away like a wildflower. No beamers in heaven. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, and beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. What about what I want? Hey, I just want to be happy. Don't get so heavy here. I just want my stuff. I just want my gadgets. Come on, give me a break. Listen, God determines how happy I am. Money determines what I experience it through. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. This is what happens when our heart goes that way. But I want to um, go to this passage and just look a little bit deeper. I don't know, do you guys have these Bibles under your seats or anything? If not, I can just read it to you. 
Um, but you turn to Ecclesiastes 5. These verses have been so sobering for me. Five ten has a verse that says that, and um, then turn to verse. Look at verse nineteen at the end of the chapter. It says, "Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions, so it's God who gives wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God." Understand this, you need three things to get where you want. You need some degree of wealth, some degree of possessions, and you need the ability to enjoy them. God gives you the ability to enjoy them. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love this verse. Does it mean that we're supposed to spend our life with nothing? No. I rode down here on a motorcycle I really love. Someday that motorcycle may be my ticket home. I don't know. God wants us to enjoy what we have. All He promised us is our daily bread. Everyone in this room, you guys all, you have way more than God promised you. You have all kinds of rich things. You've got relationships. You've got possessions. You've got a house. You've got a car. If you stopped and started thanking God for every single thing you have, you'd end that time really blessed. And you know what? He's made you the way you are. If there's something you need, for my, me, my motorcycle is a connection with God. And I'm not trying to spiritualize that. I thank God all the time. God, thank you, thank you. What am I doing? How do you, why do I get to do this? And it's a way that connects me because I'm thankful and I, I love the creation. And I spent a whole sabbatical just riding around and just listening to Josh Garrels and connecting with God. And and whatever you need, do you need a you need one of those twenty volt lithium ion battery Dewalt drills to be happy? Maybe you do. And if you do, you know what? God's up in heaven going, Gabriel, I made that guy that he can't be happy unless he has a Dewalt lithium ion twenty volt drill. Go get him one. What you need and how he's made you, he will get you. And God just says, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Love your house. Where are you living? Love it. What has He given you to drive? Enjoy it. Where are the parks around your place? What do you get to do? Enjoy it. Go, oh, this is so cool. I love it. He's given you all things for your enjoyment. Don't go, but I want one of these. And He's happier than I am. And He has one. If you need one to be happy you'll get it. If He made you so that the way you're wired, who you are, has to be expressed through that, God says, I'll get it for you. It's yours, man. Because I want to watch you with it. I made you to have that. And I want you to love it and enjoy it and do it with me. Be who you are with me. And you need these to do it.
subdue the creation. We're to use the creation. It's ours to express what we are in God. But here's the key. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. And the world says, I want you to give your heart to me. I want to be your food. I want to be your food. I'll give you more stuff. I'll give you more colors. I'll give you more options. I'll give you more upgrades. Give your heart to me. And God says, I want to be your food. Do you understand? Jesus said loving the world is like idolatry. All of us face that. If you're married or you're in a relationship, you understand there's a degree of loyalty. This is not legal stuff. This is loyalty. In your heart, will you say, God is my husband. God is my husband. God is my husband. I will be content with what He provides for me and I will not be taking flowers from another man. God is my husband. And He will love me best. And it's His love that I want. I set my heart to live in the boundary that my husband has chosen for me. No earthly husband is fully worthy of that. But all of you in this room who know Christ, you have a husband who is. And so that's why I want to give you a chance, just like somebody gave me in the past to make a decision like this. So on the back of your sheet, there's this, there's this kind of promise, kind of a commitment. And it has a verse from Matthew 6 in the, at the top, which has been a big verse for me. Um, and um, then it says this, God, I know there's nothing on this earth that I should trust to care for me, or give me a sense of who I am, or bring real happiness and joy into my life. But I acknowledge I'm often tempted to believe that money can provide those things for me, on this day I proclaim that I trust you, the living God, and not money, to protect and provide for me. You are my security. You've warned me that I cannot love both you and money. God, I choose you. My heart is given to you who died for me. I want to live my life and end my life serving you and not money. Thank you that you are all I need for what is in my past, my present, and my future. In that sense, you spoke of in Luke 16, from this day forward, you are my master, my protector, my provider. By your grace, my money will be your servant through me. Somewhere at home, in a drawer, I have this with my name and my date on it. Many, many years ago, I signed this or something like this. About seven years ago, I went through all my stuff. And I just felt like my heart was getting caught up in things. And, and I wrote out a quick claim deed to all my stuff. To my farm, to my car. I just got a new Mac laptop, my first Mac laptop. And boy, I just loved that thing. I had a motorcycle. I had some cool stuff. And my cars and my house and my farm. 
I just went through and I listed all those things. And I signed them over and I gave them to God. I said, God, these are yours. I'll do whatever you want to with them. Shortly after that, God led me to leave the farm. And I moved to a house closer to the church building. It was an incredible blessing. I don't trust my own wisdom or judgment in anything from my life. I want to live the life my husband gives to me. But there's a choice to make, a choice to get saved, a choice to get married. There's a line we cross, and there's a line with money where we say in our heart, I know I'm going to struggle afterwards, and I know I've struggled before, but I'm making a decision. I'm crossing a line. God, this is it. I'm telling you, you are my provider. I live in your circle. What you give me is my world. And I want to invite you to consider making that decision today. We're going to get sing a song after the service or we just go eat. <laughs> what happens here next? Sometimes a song. Um, Jeremy, could you come and play your guitar a little bit? I even have one of those songs I love. I'd love just to end with it. But I just want you to pray a little bit. So play a little bit. I'm going to pray. And... You know, you, this is not for your neighbor. You can go home and do this if you want. I'm just telling you, it makes a difference to make that decision. Or maybe you go, I'm not making that decision. That's fine. You might wrestle with this for a year. Good for you. Good for you. You wrestle with it. Because then it's real. Generally, if you wrestle with God, He wins. <laughs> you wrestle with it. But I just want to challenge you. Do you want to make a decision? Do you want to say, God, this is it. I threw up my flag. I'm in. You're my provider for the rest of my life. I'm following you. You may have gotten saved a long time ago, but this is another line. And just put your name on there, put your date on it, and stick it in a drawer somewhere, and then years from now you'll be able to say to somebody, in a drawer somewhere, it is written. Um, and you'll have done it. I'm just going to pray, okay? And then, um, what's your song list? We're probably way over time. Normally, I'm new here. They don't have me come hardly ever. Um, I know the service normally ends way before this. Um, can we sing that? Um, but I'm going to pray. And Lord Jesus, I just ask you for everybody here. Lord, they love you. <laughs> you, uh, you started them on a road with you at some point in the past. You're discipling us all, but the world's after us too. Oh, the world is after us. And so many followers of yours, they lose the battle and their heart goes cold and they're just going through the motions. But not in this church, Lord. Give them a rich future. I just pray you'd bless this neighborhood. I pray you'd bless this room and just fill it up with people so excited that there's a Savior. And give this church people who are not lost in all the stuff and all the entertainment and all the material possessions and all the concerns and the worries and the desires and I want this and I'm concerned about that and I'm trying to fix this and I'm trying to go here. But it's you. We're caught up in you. We're poor enough in our minds that we have just you. God, give them the time of their life here. Let them see your work powerfully because they love you more than other things and you honor that. And you bless them. And they have stories they can tell their children and their disciples because they saw you do great and awesome things because you were honored as you should be. 
I ask you, God, show yourself great here. Make great lovers of you in this room. And I pray that they just look at you and say, God, you are my husband. I live in what you provide. I'm at peace in your protection. In Jesus' name. stand up and we'll sing a song. Let's sing I Will Follow. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow.